Hello and welcome to the first ever podcast for Seeking Stories. Uh, if you've stumbled upon this, um, you might also want to check out uh, SeekingStories.com, which is a website that is uh, dedicated to helping people unleash the stories that they have within themselves. It helps them find ways to uh, learn more about writing and how uh, different stories can teach us about uh, storytelling. Um, so today uh, I am here with my wife, Kristen, who uh, we uh, kind of met years ago through our mutual love of stories and storytelling. Uh, so we figured we'd start out the first... Mostly Lord of the Rings. Mostly Lord of the Rings, yeah. true. But other good stories <laughs> mixed in there, too, as that well. That was the important part. <laughs> Story for another another day, maybe, <laughs> if you all are lucky. Um, but today um, we're going to be doing... or talking about um, a movie that we watched recently. And a lot of these podcasts will not necessarily be um, focused on um, items that I've already blogged about. Uh, but this one will, um, about a week ago, I posted an article on, um, the movie Midnight in Paris, which came out in 2011, directed by, I think it was Woody Allen, mm-hmm. and, um, there's a, a lot to digest and chew on there, uh, so we figured we'd talk about it as well, um, so, basically, in a nutshell, the movie, um, is about a modern-day writer who is in, in Paris. With his fiance and her family. And they um, don't really get along super well. well. Um, did you yeah, want to they, add anything to that? Well, they 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 have their things that they don't agree on. I guess like any couple, but um, and I guess I don't want to get too much into the their opinions on it because I feel like. I feel like my my reaction to their relationship is part of why I felt about the movie the way mm-hmm. I did. But so suffice it to say that they they have some disagreements and he really wants to live in Paris someday and she's like, "Oh no, I don't want to ever live outside of America." I think she she says something like that, right? I think she so. She says like, "Oh, I just want to I want to live in America." I want to go he's, back to Malibu. He's in love with Paris and wants to live there someday. So already there's like a okay, that's kind of a big thing you don't agree on, but, you know, whatever. Which, of course, the first thing I thought of when she said, I want to go back to Malibu, is that's where, you know, Tony Stark lives. And, oh, I didn't you know, think that. If you've seen Iron Man 3, you know how that ends. So <laughs> Malibu not, might not be the best place to live if this is in the Marvel Universe, which I guess yeah. it isn't, but that's beside the point. Yeah, different. But that's where yeah. my mind went when... Oh, I didn't even, no. Anyway, she wants to live, you know, back in the United States, as Kristen mentioned, and... Um, the main they're char- just there visiting. Yeah, they're still yeah. visiting. Um, the main character, Gil, um, actually played really, really well by Owen Wilson. This is the type of role that... Charming enough. Y- you needed endearing. someone with is endearing as Owen Wilson to make this role actually kind of work. And he was one of the... I guess the way he was portrayed <laughs> and acted was one of the stronger points of the movie. His character himself didn't really work, which we'll get into momentarily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he did well for <laughs> the script he was given. <clears throat> yeah. And for... Uh, Beat Owen Wilson. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's he's a writer. He is a successful Hollywood screenwriter who is just really wanting to write his first novel. And he wants to be a novelist more, more than anything. So He seems to view... I don't know if it's Hollywood writing, screenwriting in general, or just the movies and scripts that he has written as, like, not substandard, but less worthy almost Mm -hmm. it's like 
It's like that's the lower levels of writing to him. So to him, jumping into the novel world is like that's the elite where you write the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't, and I don't remember. I mean, because we only saw it the one time. I don't remember if it, that was his opinion of just those projects he had done, or if Hollywood writing in general. And I think it was more of just the projects he had done. Maybe, that's the impression yeah. I got. Um, but but regardless, he wants to break into novel writing. His novels about. Um, a guy who he doesn't really get into too much but it's about a guy who starts a nostalgia shop that's all we know really Really, yeah. pretty much <clears throat> but anyway um without explanation and that's kind of the the charm of this movie in a way the little charm that does have is that just randomly um when he goes to a certain spot at paris at midnight he suddenly finds himself transported back to 1920s paris you know a, a car a, pulls up with people inside and they're like come in come join us and like, okay. he ends up at a they're dressed night it seems all kind of normal at first except their attire is a little it almost looks like people dressed up to go to a party in 1920s fashion but of course in the fantasy of the movie it's they're actually 1920s people and he is suddenly ends up in the decade of the 1920s in paris yeah in one of the better scenes of the movie he finds himself just you know realizing that he actually went back in time and he meets um you know F. Scott Fitzgerald and his wife Zelda Fitzgerald and just kind of has a freak out moment there and yeah. um, Ernest he, Hemingway eventually. He, meet, yeah, he and meets Hemingway, he meets Picasso, Picasso and Gertrude, yeah. Gertrude Stein who becomes kind of a big character because she's um, she was, I had to Google her because we're like, who's Gertrude Stein? Um, but, well, apparently the Owen Wilson's character knew who exactly who she was because mm-hmm. he's a big, you know, writer into history you know who all these people are yeah and just kind of yeah so he was like Gertrude them. Stein so it turns out she was a big author poet you know writer and and apparently known for being a good critic mm-hmm. of work so he was like oh can she read my novel she was like an American um well she was an American who was living in Paris uh, looking for other writers and kind of producing their their work yeah um, and kind of the whole argument that you know, Fitzgerald and Hemingway had was um you know kind of immerse themselves in Paris to be around the best writers of their time to grow their their craft. So when the main character's movie, Gil, ends up there... He um, stumbles across all these famous writers. Literary people they, and just Yeah, literary goes people. Crazy. It's not just them, because Picasso was, art, was an artist. And um, who was Adrian Brody's character? I can't remember. Some I, I almost person. said Da Vinci, like, no, wrong, no, wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong century. Wrong, <laughs> wrong at century. Least, at least a few hundred um, years. Uh, I just remember he was at the group of surrealists and, uh, oh, um, he painted the melting clocks. Yeah. Oh, I don't remember who that is. Well, you can go look it up some other, some yeah, other time. But a group of surrealists who, upon confessing to them that he is actually from the future and he doesn't know what to do, they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. He's like, well, you're all surrealists, so of course you don't They just kind of smile and nod, but you'd be like, oh, but, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um... But some some of the best scenes of the movie do involve him and Hemingway, and of course, this is just the, you know Woody Allen's portrayal of Hemingway. We haven't done a lot of research on Hemingway, so I don't know how accurate none, this is. None but I've done a little bit in college, which I don't remember much of the Hemingway part anyway. Um, Van Gogh was that was it? Was no, it Van Gogh? no, I don't think no, it was, it was Van, Gogh. Van Gogh. Back to Adrian Brody. Yeah, sorry, no, I'm just know. stuck on trying to figure out. Yeah. Never mind. But anyway, you know, he kind of gets a little bit buddy-buddy with Hemingway, who doesn't really take him under his wing, but he likes him enough um, and kind of gives him a, a fun piece of advice that only Hemingway can. It's not really advice, but Gil basically says, will you read my novel? And Hemingway, without missing a beat, says, I'm not going to read your novel. I hate it. And Gil's like, 
why do you hate it? You haven't even read it yet. He's like, well, if you're reading it, it's awful. I'll hate it because it's awful. If you're reading it, it's good. I'll hate it because I didn't write it. <laughs> so it's kind of just to show the mentality of Woody Allen's portrayal of Hemingway anyway. It might be more accurate or it might not be, but um, the the scenes with Hemingway were, were fun. And just for going back to the Marvel side of things, there's actually a lot of Marvel connections in this movie because the guy who played Hemingway, and I forget his name now, but he plays the villain in the first Ant-Man movie. Um, That's right. Yeah. And then, of course, Tom Hiddleston plays... Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. And of course, you know, if you're familiar with the Marvel Universe, you know who Tom, Tom Hiddleston's is. character, which if you don't, you need to go find out. <laughs> um, but that's, we're, I guess we're more talking about the the things that the movie does well. You know, it does portray a, a nostalgic, ironically enough, because that's what Gil's book is about, but a nostalgic view of, you know, an, an era of literary excellence, so to speak. I mean, it was a depressing era of literary excellence. You yeah. know, think of feral to arms and great gatsby Ugh, and you know well-written stories for sure but they were very you know they were part of the american modernism movement and yeah depressing for people who like depressing stories mm-hmm. still well-written <laughs> still great characters yeah. Yeah. Uh, but seeing seeing a modern day writer interact with these characters and then seeing where these authors got some of their quirks from just you know peeling back a quarter of a layer of these authors lives and seeing that was a lot of fun from you know, literary perspective in a way. Mm-hmm. Sadly, that's kind of where the good things about well, the movie and I, I also, I don't know if we talked about this much, but I also really, at least for my personal opinion, I don't have much expertise when it comes to uh, artistic, the artistic production, visual, the visual, um, art, artistic, I guess merit of movies or whatever but i really liked the i guess for lack of a better word color palette mm-hmm. of the movie the art de- i appreciate the art design that's what i was looking for i really liked the art design right. of the movie the types of of locations they choose to shoot and the coloring and um and and especially the, the portrayal of 1920s paris was beautiful um, so I thought the vis- visually, I thought it looked really nice. Um, I mean, it looked like yeah, Paris. It did. It looked like what you think Paris is from pictures and, right. you know, things. So I that I liked It shows too. a very postcard picture view of 1920s yeah, Paris, yeah, which of course it wasn't all that way. Well, and modern day Paris. Both. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but. if there, you know, <laughs> of course never been to Paris, but if there are junky parts of Paris, you know, the yeah. movie didn't show those. That's not really what the movie yeah. was about, so to speak. Um, I also, oh, sorry. I also liked, I'm just trying to think of, I'm trying to think of things I actually liked about the movie, (laughs) just to be generous. I did like Marion Cotillard's part and I'm not, not, okay. Not saying I necessarily loved her character. I don't, I don't think see anything wrong with her character, but I always enjoy her performances and movies. I don't think I've really seen anything of hers that's been a total flop. Right. So I thought she was, I mean, she's a talented actress, Mm -hmm. so. So if you haven't seen the movie, um, Marion Cotillard's character, um, I mean, it's a time travel movie, so inevitably he has to have a love interest in the 1920s. Um, and she's like a mistress art, um, subject of Picasso and he meets her cause he meets her at Picasso's. I think he actually says you're a groupie of Picasso or something like that. Oh yeah. And she's like, what? He's like, never mind. Um, but yeah, she's, she's a 1920s, um, 
uh, lover of the arts. Yeah, she's pursuing fashion design, I think, and. Um, well, and all that kind of goes but, to the theme of the movie, or uh, when yeah. we saw the theme of the movie is, is that, you know, Gil, he's he, he's pining for a year long gone. I mean, the 1920s is what he loves. Yeah, he, I think, states that before he actually goes back. Right, he like, talks about how wonderful that era was, and how it would be great to live in 1920s mm-hmm. Paris. And then, you know, we go back there, and then Marion Cotillard's character is from the 1920s, you know, basically is obsessed with 30 years prior, I think the 1890s. Yeah, and the La Belle Epoque. Mm-hmm. and she she's called. like what you know you love the 20s so much you know when it finally comes it comes out that you know he's from a different era he's like she's like you know i would have loved the 1890s and then well then he finally realizes says, the that, golden age of paris is what she calls it right and then you know he realizes that well people in the 1890s probably thought you know 100 years prior were, was the they golden probably age thought or, the renaissance was <laughs> and it kind of brings back to the whole circle of you know the theme of you know it's I don't think the movie kind of portrays it as well, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But the idea of you know we kind of need to be faithful where we where we have where you know where God has us content, yeah, be content, um, yeah. you know, in in the present, so to speak. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, that was a fun era. We can learn yeah. from other eras, right? But we can't live in the golden age of the past that we never even experienced, right? Um, because and he reaches that realization when at the end, <laughs> he and Adriana, Marion Cotillard's character. Mm-hmm end up traveling farther back in time. They get into another vehicle, like, and of course it's styled. The vehicle that someone gets in is always styled after the era they're going to end up traveling mm-hmm. to. And they end up traveling to the 1890s, where, you know, the era that she's so in love with. And she's like, I'm not going and, back. Yeah. And it's like, because someone talked, I think officer like, do you want to help design costumes for the ballet? And she's like, <laughs> really? So she's like, I'm staying. And that's when they have this conversation of, he has this that realization of mm-hmm. every single everyone in their own time pines for something before in the past, right. whether they had experienced it or not. Mm-hmm. You know, usually not. I feel like because I don't think either because he wasn't alive in the nineteen twenties, right? And she probably young, wasn't if alive. If at the very least she child. was just barely born right. in that time period, so it's like I feel like people, you know, if they long for a time gone right. by, it's one that they didn't actually grow up in. But so he realizes like every single, everyone's always going to want something different from what they have. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that whole grass is greener on the other side. It's like you right. might never be satisfied. Mm-hmm. So Which, he realizes like, this is crazy. Like yeah. you just have to be. And she's like, well, you know, if you're, that's your decision, great, but I'm going to stay here. Mm-hmm. Which so. is ironic because I mean, that's the you know, theme of the movie is, you know, what we said before was, you know, being content where you are, but it's the scenes in the twenties that, you know, had a pretty good, you know, character development, you know, good plot. When we go into the 2000, I think the movie set in 2010. It's, it's annoying. It's just annoying. And I guess we can talk about that mm-hmm. now though, the few things. And I mean, the thing that kind of stuck out to me, and this is, this is from more of a storytelling perspective. This is, you know, what makes stories work and doesn't work. And in stories you need to have, you know, high stakes in a way. I mean, not every movie needs to have, you know, Luke Skywalker trying to destroy the Death Star, you know. The it's not of, always life or death. Right, exactly. Uh, but there does need to be something, to an extent, life and At death least emotional for... emotional stakes. Right, yeah, life or death for the main character. Um, I forget which author it is. I think it might be speaking. James Scott Bell, but some famous writing, um, unwriting author um, has said, you know, there needs to be stakes for the character, you know, whether it's, you know, something, physical death, emotional death, professional death. Yeah. Something is on, on the line. Yeah. Um, and for Gil throughout the entire movie, you know, first we've, you know, we found out who wants to write a book and then later on we find out, well, he's written 
400-page draft of the book, so he's further along than we think. He just doesn't want to show it to anyone. Right. And he's, like, not sure it's any good. But his stakes for if he doesn't succeed, so to speak, is he gets to go back to being a, quote, successful Hollywood author. Yeah. Which he doesn't like, which we never really find out why explicitly. Yeah. Um, but those stakes, at least for us, just didn't seem strong enough. It's like, you know, there's there's nothing there for if he fails that he can't just go back and try again the next day or, you know, he still gets to go back, you know, home, so to speak, or even stay in Paris if he wants. Yeah. The success or failure of his book doesn't really seem to be resting on anything more than that, so to speak. Well, and it's almost even, you know, and I'm just thinking about it, it's almost not even, I feel like it might not even be that far because it seems like his whole insecurity is whether or not it's any good. And... Of course, he's like doesn't want to show it to anyone, but he ends up showing it when he, in the 1920s to Gertrude Stein, and it's kind of it's almost like it's the question as is it good enough, and it's like if it if it only goes that far, then the only thing on the line there is the lost time he put into writing the novel, which is right. kind of standard for any art. You, you do something and you it maybe it's in, not as good. You, you have to go back time. and put in the work. It's like every first draft is so, going to be awful. Yeah. So it's not really lost time at all. And yeah, I and, mean, and even, even on top of that, the whole, but, but yeah, Gertrude Stein plot point. Um, I mean, again, really cool to see a famous, you know, literary person in a movie. Um, but really for, you know, the, the plot, it just, just to put a blunt, bluntly, isn't strong enough in the movie, you know, for a plot to be good, it needs to have, conflict you know the main character has to have a desire a goal he's pursuing and we can get more to that which we won't in this episode Uh, but there needs to be roadblocks in the way and every roadblock should you know in most good stories be worse than the one before something in the way to prevent him from getting um kind of what he wants how to fill his desire the spine of the story is uh, what we're we're trying to make strong um and you know if we're kind of assuming that his desire to finish the book and make it as best as it can be is his overarching desire. There really doesn't seem to be many obstacles. Um, well, I mean, he, yeah. you mean, Gertrude Stein basically. I mean, he says he d- it's does, good, but you just need, there's one thing in here that doesn't make any sense. And then. Well, even before that, he, yeah. she just kind of offers to read it. And he's like, yeah. oh, that's great. You know, yeah. of course I'll do it. And then, you know, the day later he, she says, you know, yeah, like you were saying, make some changes. He's like, okay, I'll do it. He goes and makes changes and brings it back and she's like okay i'll do it another read through another again there's no there's no conflict there not to say there had to be conflict between gill and and stein but there was nothing no no hard barriers he needed to overcome that were in his way other than the fact that he just needed to write it well and it you know as i'm sitting here thinking about it too it it seems like it's it almost became it was like it was set up that his biggest his big desire was to write a successful novel and but if you think about it the movie turned from that and that that like you said there's no obstacles it just became this really easy path like oh great like my book's you know pretty good i just have to make some minor adjustments and it suddenly became not anymore about his decide to write a novel but the movie's focus shifted to the whole relationship and nostalgia thing and that kind of became his problem because eventually and this is where i think the movie almost, I don't know if it forgot what it was supposed to be or if it just wasn't marketed correctly because it's advertised as a writer goes back in time to 1920s Paris and meets all his, like, idols. Mm-hmm. So it seems so it's supposed to be focused on the writing, you know, for him as a writer and an author and meeting other writers and authors. But the whole movie becomes about his relationship with this French... She's French, right? Yeah, she's yeah. French, yeah. French woman. And 
And his dilemma, as he states in the movie later when he's with Salvador, Salvador Dali, that's Adrian Brody's character, okay. <laughs> who I believe is the guy who painted the melting clocks. Okay. I just got the, you know, anyways. Mm-hmm. But um, I think. Anyways, he ends up in the, with the Surrealists, and the reason he reveals to them that, oh, by the way, I'm from the future. This is going to sound weird, but I'm from the 2000s and whatever. And they're like, oh, okay, whatever. But it's because he's like, I'm in love with two women, one from the past and one from the present. What do I do? And it's like, that becomes his big dilemma. Like, I just realized that that's his, his fork in the road is mm-hmm. what do I do? It's suddenly not become about his novel because like you said, that's almost become like this, the easy path. His novel's no longer, you know, the problem in his life. He's like, now I'm in love with two women. He's got his fiance in the modern day. And then this girl that he's, you know, they don't have a relationship yet, but he's in love with her. So it's like, I guess him deciding whether he should do anything about it or, you know, what he should do. Mm-hmm. And like, so that's yeah. kind of what it becomes about. Right. So it's almost like it's a little confusing because it's a movie about a writer meeting his idols, but then it suddenly becomes not about, it's not even about Hemingway and Fitzgerald and his book anymore. It's suddenly about the women. Mm-hmm. So. But then when he, when the theme is almost kind of, just awkwardly tacked on to the end when, when you know, basically when Mary Coderre's character, the love interest in the twenties, and then when they get into the 1890s he says, oh, I'm going to stay here. And he realizes has that big moment. Oh, you know, nostalgia can, isn't right. He chooses take to over your life. go back yeah. and be content in 2010s. Um, you know, then that kind of other kind of, you know, the kind of the meandering plot to the side goes away. Yeah. It's a, it's like, it switches from it. It hops from, He's a writer and he wants to be a novel, an author of novels, and be, but he's not sure if it's good enough. To, oh, now I'm in love with two women, one from the past, one from the present, what do I do? To all of a sudden, his major like revelation isn't about relationships at all. It's about... Or even content- his book. It's about content. Yeah. It's like, yeah. so we, didn't, we just went through three different is themes. It's a great theme, but it's not <laughs> but- consistent, which is just kind of makes for a very jarring experience, which feels more like a vignettes than anything. Yeah. Um, the it, only way, the only, the only way in which the whole nostalgia thing is kind of shows up from the beginning is the very fact that he's written about a guy who runs a nostalgia shop. Right. And, and he does say from the very beginning that he, you know, loves the 1920s Paris, but it's not, it's not shown as like a debilitating desire, like something that's mm-hmm. truly affecting his life or something, mm-hmm. you know, it's only, I think it's only kind of partially maybe fueled his desire to be in Paris. Although right. that doesn't really change once he decides to be content in yeah. his own time period. Yeah. But so it's yeah. Which ultimately brings us to the end of the movie, which I would thought was frustrating because it gave his made his them his climact Gil's climactic decision a non choice basically. And I kinda of defined a, a non choice as um, you know, say say in a movie you have a character who has, you know, most movies in, in Act Three they have they have to make a choice. Um, and usually the choice isn't going to be an easy choice to make because it's going to have pros and cons. And that's, you know, that's where the theme will come through in a lot of movies. That's where things will resonate with us because we see snatches of our own life where we have to make decisions and, you know, very rarely are decisions, you know, nice and easy, you know, with all pros. Um, there's going to be pros and cons to, to most everything we, we have to choose in, in life. Um, where movies can, and stories kind of fall apart is when the choices they present are too obvious. So say for example, like a no brainer. Right. Say? So say for example, you have a character, this, the hero who option one, he can 
die a miserable, horrible death at the hands of his enemy in his death has no redemptive value, doesn't save society. It doesn't do anything. doesn't do anything. Or he can choose to not die and um, find, you know, the girl he's in love with and marry her and live happily ever after. Or have all after. the happy things. Right. It's like, well, of course I'm going to choose the happy thing. You know, if to make it complicated, it would to make it a real choice, it'd be, well, he would die but then save the world. Or, you know, he might get, you know, the girl, so to speak, but, you know, society would, you know, a nuclear bomb would go off or something. Yeah. It's something ridiculous. It's each, each, it's, it's the whole thing when you are faced with a decision, you make, yeah, you make the list of pros and cons and whichever one weighs out more, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that's how, you know, you make the decision. It's, and it's, it's one of those where no matter what you choice you make, there's going to be some kind of. Right. It's a decision where the character has to come into his or own in a way. Whatever. And really. You just have to. Yeah. Embrace. And course, this is the this yeah. is the, what I've learned. Yeah. This is how I'm going to apply it. Yeah. Um, and in this movie, he didn't really have that. You know, at the end, he had two choices. I mean, this is after he decides to go back from, from leaving the 1920s via the 1890s um, back to the present time. You know, he can. So yeah. <laughs> in the 18- he can go via <laughs> Switzerland. Uh, um, <laughs> so he can stay with his fiance who has honestly been extremely disrespectful to him and cheated on him the entire movie well we don't know that for sure but it's implied. well at, well actually no it, it doesn't it does become implied okay the, his fiance who i will say rachel mcadams i guess does a an admirable job of taking on this type of character um because she she does a very good job of being annoying in my opinion um but it's one of those things where, you know, if say if it came down to at the end, even though he says it's about finding contentment in whatever time period you live in. Um, but, you know, ultimately, because his big dilemma was, you know, these two women and kind of in doing that, he chooses his fiance over Marion Cotillard's character. So I I would say if if he's, more he chooses the present. Well, yes. In dealing that's with whatever true. the present that's true. is that's in the true. present. But oh okay, I guess I'll put it this way. He is giving up this woman that he is in love with and who loves him back in some mm-hmm. way. So it, it, he is if he's sacrificing anything, he is giving her up, but well he doesn't seem of course their relationship hasn't been like It's not to choose the one in the present. It's, well, no. But, I mean, I so I just, I would say, if he is giving anything up, he is giving up the chance to maybe be with her. But it's not like they had been together for, you know, a while and they were going to get married and all that. So they just they just had liked each other for, you know. But, um, oh. but, uh, sorry, where was I going with that? Um, well, just the fact that, you know, his oh, fiance's character is... So, so, yeah, it's from the very beginning. You would think... If the guy's choosing between two women or a girl choosing between two guys, there's, in, you know, in the movie world, of course, there's always the obvious choice based on how the movie kind of directs you to want. But there's usually nothing wrong with the other choice, really, in a lot of those romantic movies where there's, you know, kind of a love triangle. Like, I feel like to make it a good one and a hard decision, there shouldn't be, like you know, the girlfriend who's awful and the girlfriend who's amazing. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like you said, that's a non-choice. That's a no-brainer. And to me, that was one of the non-choices, was from the very beginning, from, I mean, maybe maybe accepting the first scene, but from almost the very beginning, her 
character, the fiance, is just like she gets on my nerves. She picks on him. She makes fun of him. She insults him. She dismisses things that he says or wants. Mm -hmm. And mostly, and it it, it kind of starts when they get around this other guy that apparently she used to, either she used to date him or she used to like him or something. But he's married to another girl. So but the friends, a couple that she's friends with. And this guy is, the word he used to describe his character a lot is pedantic. He loves, but he, mostly he loves to hear himself talk um, because he's, to put it bluntly, a know-it-all. He's a know-it-all who loves yeah. to hear himself talk, especially about art and history and all this. He's a professor. And, and so because he's the know-it-all in the group, he's always the one giving out the information. He argues with tour guides over what's true and... And, you know, so anytime they're around him, Gil and his fiance, um, anytime they're around this guy and his wife, which is a lot of the scenes mm -hmm. once the movie starts, it's, she's always like dismissing him, putting him down. I'm like, oh no, like listen to Paul. Like he knows what he's talking about. And it's just, so the way she treats him is, it's like, it's kind of, you start to wonder like, can he not see that this woman is just like, stepping all over him and I don't know it's just yeah super disrespectful and just super annoying and and it's it's one of those things where the way she treats him in reference to the other guy Paul and then especially the way they all start to kind of hang out like especially you know Gil starts to kind of withdraw from outings because of his 1920s excursions and he's working on his novel and and so his fiance is off with Paul and his wife and sometimes just Paul for things. So you kind of start to wonder, mm -hmm. like, something, like, suspicious going on. And then the one of the last times back in, back in the 1920s when Gil gets uh, feedback from Gertrude on his latest draft of the novel, she's like, it's the only thing that, that I don't, that I didn't like, or something, the only critique. She's like, I don't see how the guy... The main character in the novel doesn't see that his wife is cheating on him or something. You remember that part? Mm -hmm. She's like, I just don't see how he doesn't, like, it doesn't make sense how he doesn't see that. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those moments where, like, the art reflects life. His novel has right. kind of reflected his life. You know, the shop owner is him and he has the girlfriend and there's another character who's like Paul. And it's kind of one of those realizations of, that's me. Mm -hmm. And that's my fiance, well, and, then, and of course she's been cheating on me with him. Right. Well, so even in another scene, um, you know, it's kind of played to a sadly humorous effect, but <laughs> you, he can't even really describe why he's marrying her. And oh, what they have in character. common is right. what they have in common. Yeah. Someone's and, asking him about him and, and his fiance. I think his answer is, "Well, we both like Indian food." <laughs> And it's it's funny, but it's sad, you know. But I mean, it goes to show that he you really can't think of anything that they both. Which makes the non-choice more frustrating, yeah. and then it really does because when he gets back yeah. to night or the nineteens, the two thousand tens, you know, his choice is basically. I mean, of course, you know, they could choose any route they want. The writers, but these are the two choices that they're kind of presented with. You know, one, he could stay or go back to the United States, which he doesn't want to go to. Continue writing screenplays, which he doesn't hates. Want to. To, you know, presumably marry his fiance, who, you know, doesn't really love. I mean, he, he might in some way, but ultimately someone who disrespects him. He and, loves her, and, but realizes this, I don't need to be with this woman. Right. Someone you who's know. not good for him, to put it, you know. I mean, there's more to it than that, but 
ultimately. Yeah. yeah. Or he the could... only thing he's giving up is the security of merit of like you know, because the you know part of the whole for single people part of the big obstacle is just finding someone mm-hmm. to get married. Right. You know, and of course <laughs> realizing that then the whole rest of the lifetime is, <laughs> you know, a big, mm-hmm. um, you know, is going to be work. But right. But, but you, you know, know, so the only thing he's giving up is the security that he's already found someone who has said yes to marrying him. But right. in the end, it's what comes along with that is, you know, the, the lack of common interests, the way she treats him, the different desires and goals. And it's like, right. so all these things make them completely incompatible. Well, and if he just wanted, you know, companionship, so to speak, he would have just stayed in the 1890s with <laughs> That's true. the other yeah. girl. Yeah. So anyway, he has a choice of, you know, going back to the U.S., doesn't want to do to write screenplays, which he hates, to be the woman who, you know, disrespects him and cheats on him. Or he can stay in Paris, which he's wanted to do the entire movie, to write his book, which he's also wanted to do his entire movie, you know, without his, you know, person he was going to marry and break up with her. <laughs> which, you know, in this case is the wise idea to do. Mm-hmm. So it's the non-choice there. It's, you know, there's all the, quote, pros on one side and all the, quote, cons on the other side. Yeah. And it's not really, as, as, an, as a writer, or sorry, not a writer, as, a, as an audience, as a watcher, you don't really feel that, oomph you would expect at the end of a movie you know thinking like oh you know that the theme came through with that you know kind of empathize with the character and i mean you do but it's just very you know oh yeah of course you made that choice that's was the obvious choice it wasn't really hard there and just kind of leaves it feeling almost empty in a way i mean empty might be too harsh of a word but it's it's kind of unsatisfying we're happy for the character because we we do like owen wilson's character gill again he does but it's a good more job. like gonna. That's about time. Happy. Right. Right. You know, it's like why did it take ninety minutes for him to come? Right. It's almost a, like the look at your watch thing and say, well, I enjoy the nineteen twenty stuff, but you know, I'm glad the two thousand ten part is over, which is the exact opposite of the movie's trying to do. You yeah. know, it, it almost wait as pine for that era when telling us, no, don't pine for that era. You know, be happy where you are. <laughs> so it was very. <laughs> yeah. Which he does do. It's just you know, but but it works really only for the character because then he's happy he stays in paris and he's keeps writing and he's already met this parisian woman who you know he starts talking to and stuff Mm. so it's it's like he's set up to seemingly live a content happy life in modern day but in paris where he wants to be doing what he wants to be you know doing and it's just and of course it's the very spoiler alert so shut it off now if you don't want to hear um but you know in the at the end he it's implied that he finds someone who shares all of his interests and likes taking walks in the rain with him and all these things that he wants to do oh, yeah. romantic like, with a capital r yeah. paris so and romantic with a little r that's true <laughs> both so <laughs> to wrap this whole thing up we have our handy dandy list of what i call the system which is the oh, the nice. the 10 star system on how to <laughs> review books and movies from a qualitative and quantitative approach so what would you say, Kristen? What does and you can find this oh um, this um, I haven't even thought about this uh, yet. reading system on seekingstories.com um, under the uh, by writers for writers uh, section. I don't know. I'm kind of stuck somewhere between three and five. Yeah, I've, I gave it a three on the actual blog, which three stars means terrible but contains a few quality artistic moments slash elements in the example I use on this blog <laughs> is burn after reading, which is. An awful movie by the wonderful Coen brothers. Sadly, because they Um, have put out some great movies. And I think as we assumed, oh, not only was it the Coen brothers, but it was Coen brothers with George Clooney and Brad Pitt 
and um, some other people. Um, uh, the guy from the Man in the Iron Mask, John Malkovich. Yes. Yeah, John yes. Malkovich, and you know, so good, decent looking yeah. cast, and you know, the great Coen Brothers, and yeah, we watched the movie and we're like, really, that that's what we. So I would want to give it three stars, but I feel like it's slightly better than Burn After Reading, maybe. But four stars is... Personally, I did not enjoy it, but can appreciate that some parts have cinematic merit. And on that, I give The Social Network, which we won't even get into that right now. That's, That's a vlog one. for another time, which we haven't seen the movie yeah, yet. Just in. Um, so I'd give it a 3.5, I think. Well, and I guess if I, if I were to kind of look at your examples, I would say... And I haven't seen The Social Network, but based mm-hmm. on what you've told me... It seems to at least have been executed much. It was executed better. well. Yeah, I think, I think it's it's standard was higher and mm-hmm. better than than at least what I perceived Midnight in Paris to be. Right. So I would say it's not as good as the Social Network, um, but. I definitely liked it more than Burn After Reading. <laughs> but then again, there's other reasons for that. So three and a half stars it is so, then. We don't have half stars in here. Well, it's okay. We can add half stars for this. See, when you look up in the sky, you can see like, that's a half star. Right? No, you can't do that. Stars. No. Like no. half moons. No. Like quarter moons. No, that's only because you only see part of the moon. Well, we it's only, only seen... ever whole. Well, maybe there's something of this movie we're missing. <laughs> The movie Clearly, did win the, the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. We, yeah, which we must have missed something. We must have missed something, because that's honestly baffling. Wasn't, maybe they just liked the dialogue. The, the dialogue plot, was witty. Yeah, the dialogue was good, but put, but dialogue does not make a story. Right. Dialogue they should have won the Oscar for Best make. Original Dialogue <laughs> out of context. <laughs> yeah. It was like watching a series of vignettes. Yeah, kind of like Monuments Men, but... From the 1920s, good. and then... And then the modern day story was like, it almost felt like the modern day story, if you were to take all the scenes from the 2010s and just put them all together, it would be like a 20 minute, 20, 30 minute, like, I don't know, just almost like a few pages in someone's diary about Mm -hmm. this part of their life. It was like, it wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't, it didn't feel like a real movie. It didn't feel like a cinematic story. Right. It felt like. Someone took a chunk out of someone's, like, memoir and was like, here. Mm-hmm. But not the really exciting part of the yeah, memoir. Yeah. Other than the traveling back in time part. Yeah. So. Which, last point before we close. I really did appreciate the fact that they didn't go in, be, into the whole how the time travel happened. You know, it, for all we know, it could have happened in his mind. It was just movie magic. And, you yeah. know, Which it was, it was, it was magic. It was, it was almost magical in a way. And it was nice that it didn't. Some movies like Back to the Future, you have to have the explanation. That's one of the yeah. awesome things about Back to the Future is... You know, the flux capacitor and the was it 88 miles an hour or whatever they yeah. have to get to yeah. and, it, and that's fun this movie would have been bogged down by that so just the fact it that was hey he's in he's in paris yeah. in 1920s and we don't need to know how and that's yeah. okay yeah. and we appreciated that yeah. i know that'd be annoying to some people but yeah. for this particular style it works yeah um it's just the plot <laughs> right so anyway we've been rambling for long enough yeah. um so it's again not a bad movie if you're looking for something to watch that kind of visually appealing your nostalgia if you enjoy fun. the 1920s um if you know if you catch it on netflix it's not a bad watch by any means but i would say there are definitely better films so to speak uh, but you might catch something that we didn't so anyway thank you for watching or not watching <laughs> you're listening it's late at night <laughs> where we are anyway hopefully it's early in the morning for you and 
you've had your coffee or whatever you choose to drink in the morning or orange juice. Um, anyway, thank you for listening to the first podcast um, of Seeking Stories. Again, you can go to um, www.seekingstories.com uh, to subscribe uh, to the blog. And there are other articles uh, there as well, which will hopefully help you uh, delve into storytelling, delve into the craft of writing, uh, learn how to unleash the stories you have within yourself. Um, hopefully uh, do so in a way that's enjoyable and uh, gives glory to God. So thank you, and we will see you next time.